Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Rosalie Hamm. Rosalie's debut novel, The Dressmaker, was turned into a breakout film starring Kate Winslet in 2015, and her latest novel, The Year of the Farmer, takes us into a drought-stricken community in rural New South Wales. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I speak with an Australian writer and explore their books, writing, and literary culture, broadcasting Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. The Great Conversations podcast expands that discussion as we get behind the scenes of the book and explore the pressing issues it talks about in our world. Look, thank you to everyone who has shared the Great Conversations podcast with friends. I'm noticing that people are listening uh, from Europe to, to Russia to America, all around the world. Now, the best way to get word out about great Australian writers is to subscribe, rate, share the podcast. If you're enjoying listening to Great Conversations, why not recommend it to two friends? Then they share it and it goes on. And pretty soon we've all got new friends to discover great Australian writing with. Now, before we get to the show, I wanted to let you know about 2SER's supporter drive that's coming up. So, 2SER, we're a community radio station in Sydney, Australia. We make cutting-edge news, current affairs, and arts journalism for the world. If you love podcasts like Great Conversations, Just Words, or any of the Think shows, you can support our work at 2SER.com. All your donations help us produce great audio and share it with the world. So, in Rosalie Ham's The Year of the Farmer, we find five years of drought have been hard on Bishop's Corner. They've been hard on the whole region, but Mitchell Bishop has suffered, especially since Nerilee McIntosh left town to explore the city. Mitch is now married to Mandy, against the town's wishes, and she's hell-bent on getting the respect she feels she's owed as Mrs. Bishop. With the Water Authority ready to cut allocations to irrigators, no one's got any money to pay anyone else, and the town's about ready to riot. And just who is the pub's new owner? And what will they mean for the simmering tensions across the community? Join me as we uh, explore the year of the farmer. My name is Andrew Popel, and I'm joined on the line by Rosalie Hamm. Rosalie's the author of four novels, including Summer at Mount Hope and There Should Be More Dancing. Her debut novel, The Dressmaker, has received worldwide acclaim. It was made into a feature film of the same name. And today, we're really fortunate. We've got a fourth novel, The Year of the Farmer. Welcome, Rosalie. I am so excited. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Nice to be here. Now, in The Year of the Farmer, we find five years of drought have been hard on Bishop's Corner. They've been hard on the whole region, but Mitchell Bishop has suffered, especially since Nerily McIntosh left town for the city. Mitch is now married to Mandy, against everyone's wishes, and she's hell-bent on getting the respect that she feels she's owed as Mrs. Bishop. Now, with the Water Authority cutting allocations to irrigators, no one's got any money to pay anyone else, and the pub's got a new owner that might just tip the whole region into a civil war. Um, I, I've got to be honest, it, when I picked it up, I thought... Okay, I'm very interested in this book, but I had no idea how interesting you could make farming and irrigation. Oh, God, I'm so happy you said that, because when I posed the, the idea of writing a book on um, irrigation, well, you know, it's, it, there was a little bit of resistance towards it, because it's not a topic that people are naturally drawn to, nor are they interested in, which is why I had to have all that drama with the town folk and marry all that drama to water and so I'm delighted that um, that you're engaged in that story as have been a few other people. 
I think it can. I think this the year of the farmer can sit alongside uh, Gregory Day's a sand archive for me this year with the, like it, which very much focuses on the fluid dynamics of sand as books that have really surprised me with topics that I wasn't aware could be so interesting. But but as you say, water water is at the heart of the novel and and the discussions in the year of the farmer. And these are real circumstances across Australia at the moment. And for me, it, it brought home the impact that drought has, not only for those working the land, but to a whole community who must struggle and they've got to compromise together. It's not just a group, a single group of people. It's the whole community. We're hoping that you'd give readers some insight into this sort of life in drought. Absolutely. And you've just made me the, the happiest author in Australia because what I set out to do was exactly what... You've just said, you know, that's how the book affected you. And that's what I wanted because there's a gap between how people perceive the country and what they think happens there mm. and their idea about water, where it comes from, what it does, the argument over it. There's a gap between that and urban Australia and indeed between the people that fund and support or supposedly support farmers and what they understand about what actually does happen. So I kind of wanted to write something that would present the plight of the farmers and their communities uh, in a way that was palatable for people that didn't have a clue. And I'm, it was going to be a hard thing to do, but I, I'm really happy that it's been received the way it has been. Well, I mean, I, rem- I remember other times of, of drought that New South Wales has faced and water restrictions being brought into place, everyone being encouraged to, um, you know, you, you wash your car with a bucket, you, um, you know, you take short showers. And, and I haven't heard as much rhetoric around that for people in urban areas. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of Sydney right now recording. Mm. Um, but I feel, like, I feel like every reader will find their own angle on the year of the farmer. And the world of the book you have is divided into the, the farmers, the townies, the riparians, there's blow-ins, there's the ferals. And yes. in much the same way, I think the readers will, they're, they're going to recognize aspects of their own worldview and prejudices. And you play with that and you, you satire elements of, I, I feel, all of these people. Did you want this particularly to challenge people's perspectives for them to see parts of themselves, even if they've never come anywhere near a small town. Yeah, no, that's the that's that's the empathy thing. That's mm. what you you try to do, and that's why you get certain characters, or that's why I do anyway, so so that people can empathise. And the other thing that I needed the characters to do, at the same time as be likable and readable, and you know, be engaged with. They've all got, every single one of them has got a valid point. Mm. They're all right. Like the ferals are right, the townies are right, the riparians are correct, and of course so are the irrigators. And all their perceptions um, of what's important to them, you know, they're all true. And they all also depend on each other. Mm. So what happens in... In those groups, is that so? You identify with one lot, and then you go, "Oh no, actually, I can see the point of the riparian." So you're not quite sure whose side to be on. So, like, ultimately, you know, it it is the outsider. It is the person that's working against the greater good, and that would be Mandy. So she, in a ironical kind of way, unites all of those group groups for. The, the greater good. So it's kind of the divide and conquer and at the same time trying to make 
it all those different groups human and relatable. So so people do understand the difficulty of the whole problem, especially in a small, isolated community that's already battling for survival. Mm. Before we get further into Mandy, and I really, I can't wait to discuss Mandy, did you feel like you wanted to have a moral compass, though? Was there was there someone that you wanted to pin, um, I guess, a, a, the reader's attention to, to help help guide us, maybe when we, we felt like we might have been a bit lost? Yeah, no, it was always going to be, I, I tried really hard to make it Mitchell, because being a farmer's daughter, I'd kind of get the primary producer's plight. Like, the farmers are the ones that have got to produce everything, and they keep being squeezed to produce more for less, and they keep taking water and saying, you've got to give it to the trees and the the rivers, and the farmers keep saying, well, you know, we're, we're doing what you want us to do. We're producing for you, and you keep taking from... Us. And so I, I kind of was leaning towards Mitch's perspective and the, the, the primary producers, but at the same time, you've got to have shopkeepers, mm. you know, and you've, you've got to have people that will look after the river. Um, and so, you know, I had to try and be fair to everyone. Writers have got to be fair to everyone. You can't just be biased completely. I'm in a very tough position right now, Rosalie, because... As an interviewer, Mitch and Mandy are both such interesting subjects to discuss. But let's let's talk about Mandy because she is certainly one of the most interesting villains that I have encountered in a long time. And you play with our sympathies. You reveal her past the, of neglect, the suicide of her father. Ultimately, though, she's she's a whirlwind of destruction through everyone's lives. Like you constantly surprised me with the things that she got up to. Where does a character like this come from? There's one. <laughs> There's one in every group. There's just one of those people that's kind of um I've never annoying. met anyone like her though. No, but you I don't think there is anyone exactly like mm. her that you would often encounter. But but I like if you observe people you can see how some people work the system. There's some people that mm. possibly aren't very bright in lots of ways, but they're cunning. And so they'll manipulate things to suit themselves. And people with their own personal agenda that are basically looking after themselves and everybody around them is somehow destroyed by them and they just follow and go with that person because it's easier. Um, so there's elements of that kind of person that I've encountered in my years of living. Um, and there's also people that are just naturally abrasive. They're just people mm. that purposely take the opposing opinion just for the sake of argument. And they're probably not even aware that they're going to do it, but for the that they are doing it. But for the purposes of this book and for, you know, that one person to side with the enemy and try to destroy the community, um, there's a parallel there with vermin, Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, the, the parallel with you not, you're being more destructive. You're not supporting the group. This is for the survival of us all. So you need to be dealt with. So, I, but I also love to dramatise. I've got a, a pretty vivid imagination. So, as I was writing her, I just made her worse and worse and worse because it had what happened to her in the end had to be justifiable. I had to have the readers on side thinking, yes, you deserve that. 
there is a there is a central tension amongst all the other difficulties in the small town, and if, uh, we've got to think that the book really has kind of a five year arc. We are at the end of of, of five years of difficulty because of the drought. Mitch um, narrowly had left five years previously, and that's when um, Mandy sort of came onto the scene for Mitch. Of course, they all grew up together, but the marriage of Mitch and Mandy, we hear much reflection on the the need for a marriage on a farm to be a suitable match, and Mandy is definitely not suitable. But we also learn of a character through the actions in the novel. It, it's not immediately apparent. In fact, ha- having read the blurb and then meeting Mandy initially, I thought, oh, gosh, the blurb seems a bit harsh on her. Um, I wonder, though, if you could reflect for me on the pressures of a young woman, any young woman, but particularly a young woman like Mandy, in a small town and the role that marriage plays in the dynamic of a woman's life, because it's it's very different for her than it would be for any man in the novel and, and many of the women. I think in a small rural community like that, if you marry a farmer, um, because they're isolated, because it's a battle, because it's all about survival and, and there's so many things that can thwart them, you've got to marry someone that will support you and work with you, mm-hmm. that will take an interest in farming and understand you can't go for a holiday in the middle of harvest. That mm. your life is going to be dictated by certain things, by the weather, by the worldwide markets, by vermin, by weeds, all that kind of stuff. So if you marry someone, you know, you, you're marrying the community, you're marrying the way of life, mm. and you work towards that in much the way that the other character, Isabel, has. Now, Merrily's not exactly a good farmer's wife. But she's a good supportive partner, mm. and she she's the one that ultimately does the one thing that makes Mitch take action. So they're not really suitable. You can't really have a suitable partner in that book. But Nerily is the more suitable, and Mandy thought that she was going to be suitable, and thought that when she got married, she would automatically assume a position that privileged position of Mitchell Bishop's wife, but she didn't understand that you have to work for it and you have to kind of be it. Farmers' wives also need to be able to drive a tractor, drive a chaser bin, drop the kids off at school, cook dinner for 50, sell wheat online, dip sheep, you know, like all those sorts of things. Um, and you you need to be a kind of strong person to do all of those things strong in the right way. It's like like Isabel. Isabel Isabel is quite typical well, yeah, of I was really farming interested in women Isabel. these days. I was so interested in Isabel though, because I feel like you were engaging with this bigger discussion and, and perhaps Isabel and Mandy were were flip sides of a of a, a coin to use a cliche yeah. here. Um, mm. but this idea of the, the female is in the supportive role to the farmer, and Isabel seems particularly to rail against that. And the idea of, of the woman could be a farmer, whereas as Mandy was always only ever viewed as potentially a companion. But I mean, you, you just the women's lives on the land are the, a constant source. Um, Esther's survival alone. You've got Nerily and her search for a place that ultimately has a leave for Sydney. Lana and JC's sort of strange love triangle. Um, and then Isabel, the, the resentment that she has that her daughter might be dispossessed in the way that she was from yeah. the land. But then that's tangled up with this love for her brother and her father. 
Um, yeah, no, it's it's a very complicated thing, and it has to do with succession too, mm. which is a really big issue in rural families now because girls are going to agricultural college. Girls mm. are being farmers in their own right because technology's made it possible. It's not as arduous as it once was. It's more um, science-based these days. So it is a possible thing for a woman to be a farmer. So I'm kind of representing the traditional way of having the supportive wife and the way of the future. Now, it's a dark world that you paint. Um, Sorry. No, that's that's okay. Have you been hearing that? Did you feel it was a dark world that you were painting as you were going along? Yeah, no, it is, but it is out there because you've Mm. got life and death and everything Mm. in between and you're close to nature and the life cycle and, you know, there's feral dogs and yet there's the dogs that you love and there's um, eagles that can be good and bad and, Mm. you know, there's introduced animals. There's all sorts of dark and nasty things happening just day to day, you know, foxes, all those sorts of things. So. In that, in that rural environment where there's tragedy, and there is tragedy mm. every day, you kind of need the irony and the humour to cope. Mm. So it does get a little bit dark because it is a little bit dark. The forces, though, that you ally against Mitch seem almost insurmountable. You've got the world of like land, town and water. Like just just yeah. reconciling them is almost this Gordian knot of intersecting interests. And Mitch himself, he rails at, at what he perceives as his own weakness and, and struggles to make the choices that we, we learn he ultimately must. And I wonder, did you see Mitch in any way, and perhaps people who work the land, the farmers, as kind of almost Shakespearean protagonists in the way these forces are, are allied together against him? Absolutely, and I I love that. I like that you said that because even it's Shakespearean that even when it does rain, you know, it's still not a good thing mm. because the the rain hasn't come on time and it's done more damage than it should. Ghastly things happen out there to farmers with machinery and accidents, and yet there's all that gorgeousness of the the life. Um, cycle the fatalistic destiny of it and all under this vast canopy of beautiful blue sky and, you know, endless stars at night. And they are all in tune with the seasons and the way the land is and they watch their sheep and they love their sheep and they feed their sheep and then they send them off to slaughter and we eat them as chops. So, you know, there's all that kind of stuff that that goes on in the farmer's life day to day. So, you know, that's that's been apparent to me since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Now, weaved in amongst that, of course, we have a force that perhaps doesn't have to be the, the sinister, um, I, I guess, overhang that it, it becomes, and that's this idea of corruption and the role of government. And I feel like you there is no way you could have intended to... Be, be so spot on with what we see kind of happening at the moment in politics. This book's obviously been in the works for years. I listened to a podcast where you were talking about it a couple of years ago. But, I mean, this this current situation where we've got special envoys and there seems to be as much um, a trade of political favours as there is a trade in water, um, what, what impact is it? Is it as dramatic as this book is? And you said you love to dramatise. Is that something that we can understand is is happening? 
Look, it's water. It's our, mm. you know, it's our most precious resource, so it's rife for corruption. Mm. Um, and from time to time, as I was reading over the years in rural magazines and rural newspapers, you know, there were reports of a kind of branch stacking of, of water allocation. So water traders would put out, send out false emails saying that the price of water was about to go up. And so mm. farmers would go out and buy huge amounts of water um, only to see the price of water then plummet and then them to have paid far too much money for mm. water that they don't necessarily mean which, which needed, which meant that the water traders made huge profits. Little things like that that are going on. And, of course, there was the Four Corners report on the Murray-Darling Basin and up there in isolation where no one can see but everybody knows it's an open secret that some people take more water than they should because they're the best friends with people in powerful positions or they hold, you know, a, a high position on the local hierarchy. So it's, it's just rife for exploitation and corruption. And I think given that the water authorities from time to time will lose sight of what they're all meant to be achieving together mm. and they I think that sometimes they don't see themselves as part of the system but rather overbearing or overseeing the system and to my way of looking at it I think that's a very grave mistake because you're not working towards the greater good you're not working with the the primary producers or the people that you're meant to be helping so all of those things I think played into the whole idea of water and I think it's a salient point because the more precious water becomes, the more valuable it becomes and so the more open to exploitation and corruption it becomes. Like, you know, when you look... I looked not long ago on um, the internet and I looked at all of the continents and all of their, mm. you know, catchment areas, their, their river systems... When you look at Australia's, we've only got basically the Murray-Darling on the eastern part of Australia. Most other um, countries with, you know, huge agriculture have got much, much more water. There is, there's m many, many more river systems. So yeah. in Australia, when they talk about us being, you know, the driest continent, we absolutely are. Mm. Now... This connects to a big discussion of human nature, which is constantly bubbling under the surface of the year of the farmer. Throughout the book, there's a question that hangs in the air. It's often unspoken, but for each of the, the characters, it seems they must answer the question of what would I do? And, and this question fuels hope. It feeds despair. I saw at one extreme you have Mandy, and it seems there's very little that she wouldn't do. And for Mitch, perhaps at the other extreme, he struggles to act despite the, the you know the the situation staring him in the face do you do you see us all as as all as being capable of these extremes or do you see especially in the in the action of the year of the farmer that circumstances drive us to extremes i think circumstances drive people to extremes i think that we're all capable if we're driven mm. to that point um Mitch you see, having said that, now that I think about Mitch, I don't know if he would have it actually took merrily mm. to to do the, you know, to take the course 
action that was required with Cleopatra. Um, and Cleopatra had given in to her fate in a way. So, yeah, I guess it depends on the person. I don't know what Mitch would have done. He was sitting in his ute for a while with a gun. Um, there was a mild suggestion that he could have done anything and that Nerily came along and sat on his lap, so to speak. I'm, yeah, um, I'm not sure if you intended yeah. it this way, but it strikes me that within the book, the men, the male, the male characters behave in more predictable, more traditional ways, and it's actually your female characters that have huge dynamic um, arcs and, and abilities to think, to, to think around problems and to come up with, well, in, in the case of Mandy, not, not dynamic solutions, but with creative ways to do what needs to be done. Yeah, I think so. You know, the, the women are pretty strong in um, small rural or any kind of rural community, they have to be. And there's an, because everybody knows everybody so well and they've known everybody so well for forever, they've gone to school with them, people know what other people are like. Um, and the men tend to be, in lots of cases, especially in the era of the farmer, the ones that placate, that disgust, that will sit in the pub mm. and nut things out. Um, and it's the women that tend to be more fiery and I just think you know it's not it's not a cut and dried thing it's n mm. it's not a general rule of thumb but definitely in the year of the farmer I've taken the opinion that it's the women that are the strong ones they're kind of the lady Macbeths if you will that are pushing things along like um well, the men have discussed it all and they make the decisions about the cull and the inference is that um, Esther Shug's got a lot to do with that cull mm. and the outcomes for, for Mandy. So I, there is a suggestion that the, the women are the more evil, if you will, in the circumstance. But it's, it's kind of for just, it's justice. So there is revenge. Mm. But in the end, to my mind, it's a little bit more just than, say, the ending of The Dressmaker. Some, something you said just there about um, the way small communities operate and people knowing everything about each other. Do you feel that in a way it um, it actually decides for people and, and it because it is difficult to behave in a way that you are not expected to behave, you, you ultimately become a self-fulfilling version of yourself? Yeah, possibly. Mm. There's family traits. Mm. You know, someone said to me um, just today um, about someone that she knew in the farming community and the reference was that person always treated their animals badly mm. or that family always treated their animals badly and that's a kind of a, a habit that's passed on. It's a, it's a way of being that, that kind of passed on and so everybody would know that about those people. Mm. So they would judge them on that. Mm. They would live with them and work with them and keep, the equilibrium and the harmony ticking over in the community. But if push came, comes to shove, that particular trait about that person would be a decision maker. Mm. Now, Rosalie, I've had such a fantastic discussion with you and I'm so glad we've delved right into the year of the farmer. Let's end where every good day and bad should end because 
despite the diversity of the community that you unfold and their varied histories, their grudges, they all end up at the pub. And I wondered, do we give enough credit to pubs in our writing and in our popular consciousness? Oh, God, no. Everything happens at the pub. The people that wash in and out of pubs, the things that are said, the knowledge that is gained, like alibis are created. Um, You can tell the time by when people appear at the pub. You know, there was a there was a man in my hometown that for years would go to the pub and have three beers and then start behaving erratically. He he had an illness, and the barman would just put half a dozen cans in front of him, and that would be his signal to to leave. And so he would leave, and then he would wind his way home, talking to lampposts and acting erratically. But everybody knew. And they knew he was harmless and he was sent home safely. But, you know, I could look out my window and see that man and know approximately what time it was and where he was going and what would be happening in his own home. And he was, his wife would be looking after him and all that sort of stuff. So being a place of social, political, emotional and psychological argument, it's also a place of nurturing and it's about history and people. Um, you know, community. So the pubs are, yeah, when the pub dies, the town is basically dead. There's nowhere for people to socialise. You are listening to Final Draft, and I'm speaking with Rosalie Ham. Her latest novel is The Year of the Farmer, and it is wonderful, amazing, intriguing. Um, a little bit damaging. I felt like I needed therapy afterwards, I confess to Rosalie. Rosalie, thank you so much for joining thank me you. and taking the time. It's been excellent. I've loved the discussion. Thank you, Andrew. That's it for this great conversation with Rosalie Ham. Rosalie's new novel, The Year of the Farmer, is out now through Pan Macmillan. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you're enjoying Great Conversations from Final Draft, can I ask you to subscribe? Maybe it's in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast, and you'll get a new episode delivered straight to your phone every week. We've also got a new podcast from 2SER. It's called the 2SER Book Club, where I sit down with Tess Connery and discuss thoughts on new releases and classic works. Uh, it's, it's also available wherever you get your t- podcast. Just search for 2SER Book Club. And if you're loving our podcast, please share them. Give us a rating. It really helps others discover the world of Australian literature. If you want to keep up with the latest books, writing, and literary culture, you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. I'm Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. See you then.